This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We're back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the latter portion of Ecclesiastes 5 today in our study. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Somebody said that trying to make a discontented person happy is like trying to fill a sieve with water. And I think that that's a great picture of what Solomon is describing in this this verse, that when we give ourselves over to the love of money, we will never be satisfied. However much you pour into that sieve, right, it's always going to run out too fast to catch up. Uh, There's always going to be a hole there that consumes whatever's put into it. And I think this is the reality that God wants us to see. And also the the truth that the devil works diligently to conceal from from us and, and conceal it with his his lies and his propaganda. And his great lie, right, is if you make a certain salary, at least his great lie with regard to this subject, is that if you make a certain salary or you get a bigger house or you get power prestige, then you can, you know, then you'll be happy. Then you'll find satisfaction. Then you'll find fulfillment. You know, he does he does that with everything, right? If you sleep with this person or that person, then you'll be happy, right? So you, really you could apply that to any of the areas that Solomon has been, been talking about. And so Solomon is saying here, uh, no, this is not the case. Seeking happiness and wealth is vanity. And the truth is, if you can't be content without it, then you're not going to be happy when you get it. You know, I think many passed through this life never content with their circumstances and their discontentment leads them into all sorts of other sin. Uh, One man said, a content person is never poor and a discontent person is never rich. If anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it's the emptiness that it that it leaves. And don't misunderstand, it's not. You know, just as the Bible speaks here in this case of um, love of of money, it's not, that's the emphasis, right? It's not that having wealth or having money is wrong or that it's sinful in of itself, but it's always the the place where that, that it holds in our hearts, right? This love that the Bible speaks of, that's the issue with man and seeking a a greater fulfillment in, in wealth. So, we, you know, man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than than that, right? Solomon said earlier in the book that God has placed eternity in in the heart of man, and he goes on to say in verse eleven that when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So, what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? And that's, I don't know if Solomon intended that to be funny, but it's kind of comical to me, you know, that he's he's kind of pushing pushing the point further now that not only does this leave you feeling empty but i want you to think about you know, you know as your net worth increases your expenses are going to in, increase usually uh and the expectations of other people are going to increase uh and so solomon is saying, what is the point except for you just to watch that that happen and yeah you have all this this stuff the good things are increasing but um, you're going to have greater responsibilities and and um, you know greater greater expenses. 
And so Solomon also writes that the poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. That's actually in Proverbs 14, 20. And that many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. And so as an Ecclesiastes, Solomon, you know, he's not, you know, he's not commenting on the morality of what he's just stated there, but he's just stating stating a fact that it's, you know, and, and it's also not a commentary on the quality of friends that he's talking about that are going to be drawn to a person with, with wealth. He's, he's just simply describing the realities of, of the world. Um, and so he's saying, be careful that you're not, you, you know, go at this with eyes wide open, right? You're, you're going to be burdening yourself in, in a way uh, by in, in, in kind of unforeseen ways that he's trying to help us see by giving your life to the love of, uh, love of riches. Uh, in verse 12, he follows in Ecclesiastes 5. Now the, the next verse says, The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, and the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. And uh, again, it's another profound observation, right? The the laborer has a whole lot less to worry about, but the person who has given themselves to wealth and has uh, accrued riches, he has again more worries and more responsibilities. And Solomon is saying, less sleep as as a result. And you know, when we think about New Testament teaching and what Paul tells us, what tells tells Christians about. Uh, the importance of godliness or, or reverence for God with contentment, he says that's a means of great gain in First Timothy six and verse six, right? And, and in that same context, he he describes how there again many people who were at one time godly who have given themselves over to the love of money have pierced themselves through with many griefs, right? So it's just kind of this, you know, this constant trouble, right? You know, but if we're healthy and we have food and we can be content with what we have, with our our family and our clothes on our backs, you know, what more do we need, right? As as Paul makes the point there, with food and covering these, with these we shall be content. If God has blessed you with greater wealth than uh, other folks, well, then use it to glorify Him, so that your reward will be great in heaven. Don't um, don't allow your heart to trust in that that wealth. Um, or, or trust it to um, satisfy you or save your soul. It's it's not, you know, that's foolishness is what Solomon is saying here. And it's fickle and uncertain, right? Wealth is contingent upon, in, to some degree, as the Bible teaches, <clears throat> excuse me, your willingness to work and and the degree to which you work. But it's but it's much more contingent upon external circumstances. Um. And a lot of things that we can't control, you know, markets and economies and and just life and in general and our own and our own physical health and and ability to to work and to think and so um, many of those things are just completely out of our control. He says in verses thirteen through seventeen, riches kept for their owner uh, to their hurt, but those riches perish through misfortune. And so wealth doesn't bless the life of every wealthy person, Solomon is saying, especially those who keep their riches with an ungenerous and, and miserly kind of hand, like a tight a tight fist. Uh, he's saying you, you do that to your own hurt. And God is showing us the foolishness of, of holding on to wealth in an ungenerous way. And this, this really fits with a, a lot of the, I think a major theme that 
runs throughout Ecclesiastes, and that is Solomon will say a number of different things that indicate that, that, that we should just enjoy the enjoyable things as they come, right? Because as, he's, as, he, as he revisits the uncertainty of life and the certainty of death and the, the march of time, again, these things that are beyond our control, um, you know, he'll say, you, you know, enjoy the good meal, enjoy the time with your spouse, enjoy the time that you have uh, under the sun, right? And he's not, it's, and it's not a, uh, like a fatalistic type of viewpoint he's calling us to have, like, well, this is, you know, all there is, and you, you don't know when your day is going to end. So just, uh, you know, so just make the best of it. It's, that's kind of what he's saying, but also there's more to it than that, right? He's not discounting the, the spiritual side of it, right? He's, in other words, he's not saying just enjoy the enjoyable things in this life as they come. He says, do that, but also remember you're going to be held accountable in the end for how you used your wealth and if you were content and, you know, did you ultimately fear God and keep his commandments, right? Which is where he's headed with the whole book. And this is just one facet, you know, that he's focused on in this in this chapter with regard to wealth. It, it, it will disappear suddenly, or it can, through misfortune, as he says there in verse 14. Um, and in the end, right, in the final analysis, you lose all material wealth when you leave this world. And so this is what Solomon wants us to remember too. And, and in fact, you know, Paul... I'm more and more persuaded had this particular text in mind as he was writing First Timothy 6 because Solomon will use the exact words, or, or rather Paul will use the same words as Solomon uh, in verse 15 of Ecclesiastes 5. Ecclesiastes 5.15, He had come naked from his mother's womb, so he'll return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. Does that sound familiar? No, that's what Paul says. We have brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. And Job echoes the same words in Job one twenty one. And so all of this to say, why well, get so worked up over such things that we can't take with us in the end? Right, Whether it you leave in an hour from now or a day from now or years from now, Whenever it comes, whenever your time comes to leave this world, you're not taking anything with you. It's just going to be you. And, you know, it's all it's all of our stuff, all of our, you know, bank accounts and houses and libraries and cars and accolades. Is any of that going to matter in eternity when you're standing before Jesus to be judged? Well, No. Not the amount of it anyway. How you used it is what's going to matter. And so Jesus' instruction is to, to lay up treasure in heaven. Right? Lay up treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't take your wealth with you when you die, but you can use it here and now in a meaningful way so that when you find yourself in eternity, and you will, you will have stored up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. These are Paul's words. He says, store up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for the future. What future is he talking about? Well, eternity. He doesn't mean 
here and now in this life because Paul knows it's going to end just like Solomon. And then he says, so that you can take hold, take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life. Eternal life, right? So pursuing and building wealth for the sake of wealth and having bigger and better things, that eventually leads to loneliness. It leads to sorrow. It leads to anger. You know, just, just revisit Ecclesiastes chapter 2 again and look at uh, Solomon's frustration there and how he describes his loneliness and his and his sorrow and his just utter disappointment you know as he just gave himself as he describes I didn't deny myself anything whatever my eyes saw he says I I just went after it and you know that and then and then begins you know vanity vanity all is all his vanities uh, he was just completely dejected. Uh, so verse 17 here of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says, All his life he also eats in darkness with great irritation, sickness, and anger. You see how he's coming back to that point again? When you go down that that road, it's it's not what the devil would have you believe, that it's just, you know, <laughs> jubilation and a life of ease and you know, whatever promises he makes. You know, Solomon is saying, no, it's just just the opposite, actually. And so finally Solomon says in verse 18, um, it's good and fitting. Here's one. Of, here's an example of one of those uh, phrases I was talking about earlier where he just says, enjoy the good things as, as they come. Um, and, you know, hold things with an open hand. Uh, verse 18, it is good and fitting for one to eat and drink, to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils, uh, under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, uh, for it is his heritage. And so he circles around to his central theme. Notice he's he brings the goodness of God back into uh, the, the discussion, right? He's turning our attention back to the spiritual. Fear God, keep his commandments, appreciate his gifts. There's much to be enjoyed, but you can't fall for the delusion that what is to be enjoyed is an end in and of itself. Don't fall for the delusion or the illusion, I guess, that pleasure, joy, even productivity, work, and the rewards of work, wealth in its various forms, it's not, none of those things are ends in and of themselves. But rather, they're all gifts from God, and they can only truly be enjoyed and experienced in a meaningful way, a fulfilling way, when we are dedicated to God, dedicated to serving God. And this, again, is something that Solomon has already uh, touched upon uh, back in chapter 3, just a, a few chapters earlier. I know that there is nothing better for a man than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. So you see what he's, what he's doing here. Right? Even work itself, again, and the satisfaction that you that one can get from honest work and labor, whether it's physical or otherwise, it's a ble- that that is a blessing from God, right? So He's God has designed us to be productive and creative, reflective just as, as He is, not to uh, just wallow around in the, the rewards of those things, but ultimately use them to serve Him and 
and express our gratitude for those those gifts, right? And so lastly here, let's just say that Christians, you, you know, we Paul in 1 Timothy 6, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use basically the same verbiage that Solomon is using here. And so that tells us, I think, that these principles are are timeless and also that Christians Christians are not immune to the call of materialism. And you know, as Paul says, many even in Paul's time, many had abandoned the faith to chase riches to the ruin of their souls. You know, I mentioned that text earlier. It's first Timothy six and verse ten that Paul says that some by longing for money have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves through with many griefs. So, you know, you when you reflect upon that, you think, well, how many since Paul's time and before Paul's time pursued wealth at the expense of their families and their health and morality and and God? You know, it, it, in, in this particular case, Paul is talking about Christians who have abandoned um, worshiping God and and now they're trying to get rich by deceiving and defrauding others. So we can easily forget. Christians, too, can arrive at a point where they forget that a righteous God sees all that they do. They forget how good God is and His good promises, and and they refuse to see the blessings that He's given them, and they're discontent. Right? But contentment will be ours when we find that our wealth is in love and fellowship of God. Right, that a truly enriched life is is only as enriched as the relationships that we have, and there's no greater one than the one we can have with God through Jesus Christ, who made that possible. Physical blessings are, are good things, and we should be good stewards of those things. But when we have God and we have fellowship with God, we have all things. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Appreciate you tuning in.